is Kyrie the odd man out when it comes to the Celtics? All right, before anybody thinks I'm tripping or that I've gone crazy, I'm not saying Boston should trade Kyrie Irving. I still think Kyrie Irving is by far their most gifted offensive talent. And as talented as Jason Tatum is in his between his length and his handle and his quicks and the way he can raise up on you, he's impressive. He's ascending. You can tell he's still a player on the rise. Right now, today, I don't think he's a more gifted scorer than Kyrie Irving once Kyrie Irving is 100% healthy. But what I am saying is Danny Ainge had a decision to make. It's something I'm sure he's been thinking about all this offseason coming into this season because he has to look at the long-term future of the Boston Celtics, not just the now, but the long-term future. And in the NBA, It is a money game. It is a numbers game. And while Kyrie is gifted and talented, at the end of the day, does Kyrie Irving deserve to get a max contract? Let me rewind that. Not deserve, because somebody will pay Kyrie Irving. Does Danny Ainge want to give Kyrie Irving a super max deal? As gifted as Kyrie is, and he's gifted, and he's a closer, he's a bad man, and he can break anybody down off the dribble. If you look at his career, Kyrie's only played 75 games once his entire season. He's had three seasons where he's played 71, 72, and 75 games. He's had four seasons where he's played 51, 59, 53, and 60 games. He is an injury-prone player. Gifted, talented, a beast, but he's brittle. Not to mention, that's just one factor. Let's also factor in that Celtics team went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Not just the Eastern Conference Finals. They went to Game 7 of the Conference Finals, minus Kyrie. And the argument could be made, I was thinking it as I was watching it. If Kyrie was there, the series doesn't go seven games. Then again, chemistry is a funny thing. How do I know that the flow would have been the same offensively and defensively minus Terry Rozier? I don't know. But what I do know is with Gordon Hayward already on a max deal, with Al Horford getting ready to come out of his max deal, my guess is he's either going to opt into that $30 million or he's going to try to resign with the Celtics at a lower number. But a lower number is still going to be around 18 or $19 million. At some point, you got to pay Jalen Brown. And definitely, you got to pay Jason Tatum. You're talking about a 21-year-old and Jalen Brown and a 19-year-old or 20-year-old this season now and Jason Tatum. Marcus Smart, you just gave money to. Rozier is going to be a free agent. And I'm not in no way saying Terry Rozier is on the same level as Kyrie Irving. But what I am saying is, do you really want to invest $205 million dollars on a gifted but often injured shoot-first point guard. When you know somewhere down the line, you've got to pay Tatum, you've got to pay Brown if you want to keep most of that young core together. The Celtics already have the eighth highest payroll in the NBA, and that's with these two dudes on those rookie deals. So 
to me, Danny Ainge has got to be thinking twofold. One, yes, I know down the road I've got to pay these guys. And two, if I just let this season play out, and I know Kyrie said all the right things. Kyrie's obviously made it public that he plans on returning to the Celtics. He plans on resigning with the Celtics. He plans on resigning because he plans on getting the Supermax. But if Danny Ainge and him are not on the same page in terms of what he wants to pay him, he won't be returning. And if you're Danny Ainge, you can't with 100% certainty risk the possibility of him just walking away in free agency with nothing in return. Last night, the Pistons beat the Sixers 133-132 to in overtime. Credit where credit is due. Blake Griffin, 50 points, 14 rebounds, and 6 assists, and the game winner. Right now, early in the season, Blake Griffin, along with Anthony Davis, legitimate MVP candidate, again, early in the season. But right now, Griffin is averaging 36 points, 11 rebounds, and just under 6 assists per game. But what's really impressive is he's shooting 61% from 3. And he shoots six threes per game. So this isn't a flukish thing in terms of the production. Six threes a game, 61%. Even Steph's not doing that. The question, though, is because people can be prisoner of a moment in sports. You know that. I know that. That's not my thing. Is what Blake Griffin doing more sustainable than what Anthony Davis is doing with AD averaging 30 points, 13 rebounds, three and a half blocks per game? And the answer is simple. It is not. What Anthony Davis is doing, not just because he's the younger player, is more sustainable. We've seen him do this. In Blake Griffin's entire career, his very best scoring season was his fourth year when he averaged 24 points a game. And his best rebounding years were his two first two in his career. His, his first and second year of his career, he averaged 12 rebounds a game and 11 rebounds per game. Now, granted, playing beside DeAndre Jordan, the rebounding numbers will come down. I'm sure that's a factor. But another factor is, as Blake Griffin got older, as, as the athleticism went away, he tried to expand his game, and he started shooting more threes. So here's his numbers from three the last five seasons. 33%, 34%. 34%, 34%, and this season, 61%. And my point is this. If you shoot 34% from three, it means you can make threes, and you're capable of making threes. It doesn't mean you should be taking five or six threes. That's not that good a percentage at all. I think the league, the league average is a little bit higher than that, but you shouldn't shoot a lot of threes. More importantly, if you're a power forward and you shoot 34% from three, you you shouldn't be shooting a lot of threes. What he's doing right now, these first three games, has been amazing, and I think you give credit where credit is due. Do I think that Blake Griffin is going to average around 30 points a game and 11 rebounds, six assists over the course of the season? I do not. I think that with him playing more minutes than he's played in the last seven years, he's playing 37 minutes a game, his usage percentage is insane. I think what he's doing is, He's capable of doing, but not over the course of 82 games. I think the Pistons are going to have to find more playmakers and take some pressure off of him, or he's going to wear down real fast. Talented player, 
but I never thought he was the type of player that could be the best player on a title contender. And I still don't. I think that if Blake Griffin is your best player, your ceiling might be playoffs and a first round exit. I think if he's your second best player, you have a legitimate shot to go on a deep playoff run. But again, I'm going to give him credit for the start he's had this season, how he's playing and how well he's shooting from three. It's just impressive. So shout out to Blake Griffin on that. So it's no secret that baseball is not my favorite sport, but I've also mentioned that I love postseason baseball and my pops boyhood favorite team, those Dodgers the team that I've heard him rant about since I was a kid during the world series. And I was excited when they made the world series. I was excited for him, but I also thought it's going to be a heavy lift because Boston is just the better team. Boston has a better rotation in terms of their pitching out of the bullpen and they got better bats. And I wanted Kershaw to get off to a great start. I wanted Kershaw to kind of break that cycle, get it out of his head about how he keeps coming up short in the postseason. And he struggled again. Clayton Kershaw might be the greatest regular season pitcher in the history of baseball but you're judged on what you do in the postseason. You know what? That kind of works for all sports. But that's another subject for another day. Here's the thing. The Dodgers lost game one, eight to four. Kershaw struggled and he's in his head. And I don't expect the Dodgers to win this series, but hopefully they can make it a great series. So that's my thoughts on the World Series. Now, Facebook fam, Because I didn't forget, I said I would follow up and I would be more consistent in responding to your questions or in some of your cases, statements. You know who you are. And so here we go. Why don't teams want Jimmy Butler? And that's from Big C. I don't think it's a matter of wanting him. It's a matter of the money, the cap space, and what you have to give in return to get him. Remember, He has a list of teams he wants to go to. And if you're not on that list, if you trade for Jimmy Butler, you're essentially making him a one-year rental. And unless you're a team that you think we're one piece away, and if we get this piece, we're going to go to the finals, and you want to risk maybe some picks or a young talent, I could see maybe going all in on trying to win a title like the Raptors. It's not a lot that Kawhi Leonard will resign with the Raptors, even though they can offer him the super max. But you can already see the Kawhi effect on the Raptors on both ends of the floor. And if Kawhi Leonard leads the Toronto Raptors to the NBA finals, whether they win or lose. If you're a Raptor fan, it'll probably have been worth it because you've never gone to the finals. And more than likely, if Kawhi doesn't stay, you won't be going anytime soon. So I can understand their gamble. But outside of that, I hear a lot of people saying, why don't the Lakers trade for him? He doesn't want to be the Lakers. And he seems to have his mindset on where he wants to go. He actually wants to be on the Clippers. And the Clippers tried to put together a package, but that never happened. 
The Heat tried to put together a package. That's another team on his list. And the T-Wolves turned around and asked for too much. So it's not a matter of teams not wanting Jimmy Butler. It's a matter of how much they have to give to get him in return. And so right now, I think eventually he will get moved. Um, The T-Wolves are trying to get the best deal possible, but some would say they're asking for too much in return. Double D says, is Cat still a franchise player? I think Cat, there's no question Cat's a franchise talent. I think that Cat is going to be one of those guys 10 years from now who you can book for 20 and 12. The question is, does he have the toughness mentally and physically to lead a team and actually be a franchise player? So far, I would say no. But remember, we are talking about a guy that's still 23 years old. So he has time to turn that around and develop. But when I watch him, even early in this season, guys are getting into him and they're challenging him. And from my point of view, he's responding with shooting more and more jump shots. And don't get me wrong. Cat's got a nice stroke, not just for a big, but for anybody. But it seems to be all he's settling for. And when I look at an offensive talent like him, who's a a post player, a four or five combo, I look at aggression and the best way to tell aggression a lot of times is free throw attempts and he's just not getting to the line like that. So is he a franchise talent? Yes. Is he a franchise player? No. Cherie says, does Ainge offer Kyrie the supermax? I was just talking about that. In my opinion, knowing Danny Ainge, I don't think so. And it's not because of Kyrie's talent. It, it, it maybe it's just you're weary of his health. You know, that thing about ability, the best ability is availability. Well, a lot of times as gifted as he is, Kyrie's not available. So I'm going to say no. Lance says, how good can Donovan Mitchell be? Donovan, the sky's the limit for Donovan Mitchell, man. He He's gifted. And I love the comparisons between him and D-Wade. There are some similarities, but a glaring weakness, a glaring difference is D-Wade is a much more efficient player. Even at a younger, the younger stage in his career, he was more efficient. Donovan Mitchell is gifted. He's talented, but he's got to be more efficient. He takes a lot of bad shots. And I think once he gets better with his shot selection and he learns to trust his mid-range game and attack more rather than settling for bad threes, He's going to be even better, but he's got time and I'm a big fan. Morris says, is Utah a title contender? No, but I do think the Jazz are one of those teams that will go on a deep run. I think the Jazz are going to pull off a major upset. I don't think they're going to win a title. I don't think they have the offensive firepower to be a title contender, but I do think push comes to shove. They're as good a defensive team as there is in the NBA. I mean, they can get into you, and they have a great rim protector in Gobert. Blaze says, who has a higher ceiling, Ingram, Kuzma, or Lonzo? Ingram. I think that Kuzma is the better shooter. And look, and the thing is, when you watch them play, Kuzma doesn't feel like a second-year guy. He seems like he's been in the league three or four years. And I would say this, too. Um, Kuzma's more of a catch-and-shoot player, too. He has the ability to score a little bit off the bounce. He's gotten better at that. But when he can just catch and raise up, he's a bad man. 
I also think that Kuzma's closer to being a finishing project. And what I mean by that, obviously, I don't think he has the ceiling that Ingram has. Ingram is already better off the bounce. He's already a better defender. I would say his mid-range game is better as well. The question for Ingram is, does he have the assertiveness? Does he have that want? And you have to have a want for it. You have to have that want to be a star. And that takes work and that takes next level confidence. And if I were thinking about it from a mentality, just from the mentality, Kuzma has more of a want for it. Ingram and Lonzo seem to have the same type of personality. They're gifted, but I don't see that fire in either one of those guys. So while I think Ingram has a higher ceiling, there's no question Kuzma the guy that is the guy that wants it. Are the Nuggets a sleeper team? I don't think if you're sleeping on the Nuggets, you haven't been watching basketball the last couple of seasons. They just missed the playoffs. Remember, and that they they played the last game of the season versus the T Wolves to see who was going to get in, and they just missed the playoffs. This year, barring an injury, I think the Nuggets are going to not just make the playoffs, but I think they're going to be like a sixth or fifth seed. I mean, and they're going to win a playoff series. This team has a talented young core. They've got a savvy vet in Paul Millsap, another savvy vet who can score the rock once he's healthy in Isaiah Thomas, not to mention Barton by, by, by far is one of the most underrated six men in all the NBA. So I don't think they're slept on. I don't think they're a secret. I think if you're in the Western Conference and you're one of the favorites, you can be confident, but you're not really in a rush to see Denver. Does Trey Young win Rookie of the Year? I think he's going to get the opportunity. I think he's going to get up a lot of shots and he's going to have some games where he's on fire and he's going to have others where he's not. The Hawks won't be any good. So if he puts up a lot of numbers on a horrible team, I think he gets rookie of the year consideration. But if, say, Doncic or Aiton have comparable numbers, but their teams are more successful I think one of those guys are ultimately going to be rookie of the year. Paul says, will the Lakers roster have a major change? I don't think they will. But if you're asking me, do I think they need to make a major change? If you mean major, like go after Jimmy Butler, why would you do that? He doesn't, you know, that that just doesn't bode well. That's bad business because you're, you're getting a one year rental and you're giving away young assets. So no one ever accused Magic of being a bad businessman. I think the Lakers will look to improve the roster, maybe make smart moves. I think they have guys who can shoot the three in Kuzma and Josh Hart. And when he's in a rhythm, LeBron as well. My guess is, though, what they need is they need a guy that is a knockdown three-point shooter, somebody that shoots... 40% or better from three. I think that would open up the floor. That would provide more spacing for LeBron and company to operate. And that's something they'll probably pursue. Dave says, is AD a lock for MVP? He is not a lock for MVP, but he is my MVP favorite. I, I just told you earlier about how well Blake Griffin is playing right now. Look at what Kawhi is doing in Toronto. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting MVP race because LeBron's already, if you look at his numbers, his numbers are comparable to what he did last season. But again, he's doing it on a team that's 0-3. 
So those Lakers need to turn it around for him to get MVP consideration. But I think AD is the favorite, but not a runaway favorite. Will Melo fit with Houston or no? If, let me put it this way. The way they're using him right now is identical to what OKC did. And if the plan is to ultimately all he ever is going to be for Houston is a catch and shoot spot up three point shooter, then no, he won't be a good fit because Melo has never been a great three point shooter. He's a great scorer or he was a great scorer. This current version of him is not that guy. And even in his prime, he he was a guy that could shoot the three, but he wasn't a great three point shooter. He's not that good a shooter to just be a catch and shoot player and you get value for him. What I thought was going to happen is he was going to operate more from the mid the mid post or from the elbow because of his size. And he has a nice post game. And if you can't run anymore, which he can't and you can't jump, which he can't, then you go into the post. Carmelo's 6'8", 245 pounds with a post game. Use that. Get to the foul line. I watch him play. And the saddest thing is not the missed shots. The saddest thing is the guy doesn't get to the foul line. And you don't get to the foul line because you're just chucking up threes. So if Houston's plan is for him to just stay out there and catch and shoot threes, then no, it's not going to work. And he should retire like today. I don't want to tear your name up. It looks like Malloy. Name your dark horse team in each conference. Um, I'm going to say that Denver's. mm, You know what? I'm going to say Utah's a dark horse. I don't think they have the firepower, but that's my dark horse. You never know. You know, if Joe Ingles could sustain the level of productivity he started the season off with and Mitchell can be more efficient and they can get a little bit more offense because I can see the defense from Dante Exum. You never know. So Utah's my dark horse in the West and in the East. I'm going to go with the Bucks. If they can get consistent play from Eric Bledsoe to go with Giannis and Chris Middleton, they're going to be a problem. Who meets in the finals? Golden State and Toronto. I'm going to say that again. I think right now, Golden State and Toronto. You know what? I'm going to stick with that. Golden State and Toronto. So everybody out there in Raptorland, you go, that guy Mo. We love him. <laughs> but only if I'm right. So that's who I'm picking. Golden State and the Raptors in the NBA Finals. Will Golden State repeat? And that's from Benny G. Benny G. Golden State versus the Raptors. Yes, the Golden State Warriors, barring a major injury, will repeat. It will be their hardest season in terms of winning the title. And last year was really hard. They actually should have lost. We all know the situation with CP3. But I'm going to say that Golden State does three-peat. Facebook fam, appreciate it. I am catching up on these questions and responses. Anchor app, pick people, good looking out. I will talk to you all tomorrow. It's the Cypher. I'm going to hit you with this next time.